Hey human, play some music. Welcome to the latest episode of Revision. My name is Grayson Scott, and as always, I am here with my cohort, Tree. How are you? I'm doing great. How was your Memorial Day weekend? I had a good one. Um, I did something that made me feel uh, pretty much like a slug. Uh, I sat in front of the computer for almost three days straight. Three days? Yeah. Well, Have you heard of muscle atrophy? <laughs> I know. That's, that's where I was going with all this, is that... Um, I have, I have a project that I'm working on, um, and I was I was working on it really hard. And, uh, um, you know, friends were over, and they went down to our pool, and they went to all this stuff. And I literally was just right in the computer the whole the whole time, and I was exhausted. And I couldn't, by the time Monday came around on Memorial Day, I was, I was wiped out. Mm-hmm. And I, and like an idiot, I couldn't figure out why I was so wiped out. And it's like because you you were concentrating almost from like seven a.m. to midnight wow. for like two days straight. Yeah. And then you know I'm not bright enough to put two and two together to go. Why am I so tired on? Monday? You got to take blink breaks where you look away and you blink, then you go back. That's fascinating. Yeah, blink breaks. I kind of do that. So my apartment overlooks um, Midtown. Mm. I have this amazing view. So I turn and I look at the Empire State Building every now and then and kind of chill out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, what are you going to do? Sounds but, like fun. Yeah, it's, it was. It was not one of the better. But you know, because you expect to like, you know, go. To, I went barbecuing. Yeah, yeah. I you expect all this fun stuff, like what you did. You were you went out oh, of the yeah. country, right? Yeah, I was in Montreal. That was um, that was pretty amazing. I took the train up, which was ten hours. Wow. And I flew back, which was like fifty-seven minutes. So. Um, yeah. So suck at trains, right? I mean, honestly, the train ride was very relaxing, and there was so much leg room, and there was a snack cart that I was like 30 feet away from, mm-hmm. so I was pretty happy. I took a train from San Francisco to Denver, and I wanted to kill myself by the time <laughs> I... It, it took like two days. Wow. Right? You're and, brave. And, oh, and I had this giant biker that fell asleep on my shoulder for like four hours and I was too I was little I was really young at the time uh-huh. and I was terrified because oh. this giant white beard leather hell's angel <laughs> looking biker fell I heart mom me. tattoo yeah oh my god I was terrified <laughs> but that was the worst so but so how actually let me ask you that the train going up there because I actually fell in love with the trains when I used to commute between here and DC oh is that right yeah I, I actually really like Amtrak between here and there what, yeah. is, it, what is it like going up there so this was the Metro North, and it was in Metro North. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not as smooth as I thought because I've I've done the train from New York to DC before, and it's very smooth. Like you don't feel a bump at all. But that is true. I was actually doing some design work um, in the train ride to Montreal, and it it was a little bit bumpy. So I had oh. to hold my shift key a lot and try oh. to like to stabilize <laughs> my patterns a little bit. Yeah. But um, by the third hour, I kind of got used to it and, you know. I got really good at animating 
on um, the DC subway. Because, you know, I'm there an hour. I was uh, working outside the city, so I'd catch in, in the middle of DC and then go an hour north. Mm. Yeah, so I actually, I kind of dig train life. Me too. Yeah. Let's talk about the future a little bit, shall we? Did you find anything, maybe even an app, that, <laughs> that made you think, this is pretty futuristic? Yeah, actually, I saw this app. Um, I, I think it's by Excel. And basically, if you have a picture of a data chart or something that's sort of like, um, you take a picture of it, you could have drawn it, you could have printed it out, and it'll reproduce it inside your phone. So it does character recognition. But mm-hmm. in the cells. Yes. That is that is very cool. That's very cool. And it's like a time saver because what if you, um, you're you on the go and you have to send something that you figured out mm-hmm. on paper to your boss or to your friend or whatever. Do you do much Excel work? I used to do a lot of Excel work for um, invoicing for when I was freelancing. Oh, yeah, sure, but sure. But now not so much, no. Ooh, so. I did do one thing with spreadsheets. What's that? I used to plan trips that way. Oh, yeah, yeah, Where yeah. like... Um, it was kind of like itemized things that I wanted to do. And what was really fun is that you can update it on the go. Mm-hmm. And then let's say that my friend took the same trip like three years later. I would just forward her the spreadsheet, which yeah. is nice. And we should say both of us are very talented designers. Yeah. <laughs> like we do really good stuff. In fact, we are working on an incredibly cool project that I can't really talk about. It's for a large media company. And it's really super cool and really super innovative. So for all the accountants that are listening and are thinking we're idiots because we're not using um, spreadsheets, <laughs> we do have talents in other areas. I think that's important to note. So did you did you come across anything cool this week, this weekend? I did. Uh, what I came across that I think is very futuristic, it's a company in Los... I believe they're based out of Los Angeles. And what they do is they do analytics for movies before the movies are made. So what they do is they give you, is it like a what if you cast Gal Gadot versus Renee Zellweger? Oh, wow. What would your box office projection be? And, and they have it. Uh, with It's based off of, you know, obviously, box office records in the United States and Europe. And it's an artificial intelligence that basically puts together a forecast of how successful a movie could be hmm. based upon what you know and i th- i thought it was absolutely fascinating and there's a few of these but what i find fascinating about that what a terrible idea i think this is i think it's an absolute terrible idea and one of the problems with hollywood and i know part of this podcast is about being positive um but i, I this was the one thing this one futuristic thing that I think is is worth of, of the discussion. And, and the company's name is uh, Synalytic, okay? So Analytics for Cinema. Uh, and I think it's a fascinating idea. The problem is the mo- some of the most successful films, when you put it into this, would fail miserably. Yeah. So if you take, let's, um, like Back I think the, the highest uh, margins for any film from how much it costs to make to how much it actually made in the theaters is Blair Witch Project, oh, right? Oh, wow, really? Yeah, I mean, it, they spent a few thousand, I, I, I want to say, if not um, less, right? Mm-hmm. Where they basically took their cameras and went out there and did it. That movie never, ever would have been made. There's no reason based upon analytics why you would ever make yeah. that movie. And that is the way art is. I mean, there's so many movies and there's so many things that you should make, but if you're going purely by analytics, you lose the soul of what... Yeah, why put that is. unnecessary constraint on it? Yeah. 
Well, it makes sense if you're looking at it from a corporate standpoint. If you're purely looking at it from a corporate standpoint, we're going to spend $50 million on a film. It makes sense from a corporate standpoint that you would go, okay, well, I want to make sure at least we build in as much success. Like if Emma Watson is the lead versus Jennifer Lawrence, what are, what are the odds, right? But what if it's an unknown actress that is better than both of them? Yeah. And this is her breakout role, and it's just this huge sensation. And I think I think of films like uh, Iron Man, mm-hmm. who started the Marvel Universe. Um, that movie was not an, an A-list character. That was not the most popular character at the time. Robbie Down, Robert Downey Jr. at the time was only known for getting drunk and, and yeah. having drug problems. And right. he probably would have, you know, probably had to pay tons of insurance. Uh, the, he wasn't a f- very prominent actor at that no, time. No, no, no. Right? And and the director uh, was, well, a solid director. I always pronounce his name wrong. It's like John Favre, but I'm always like, yeah. He wasn't an A-list director. There's nothing about that movie that says, yep, this is going to be a huge This is the formula. This is going to be it. Yeah. There's nothing about an analytics of that movie. And it became a huge hit. It launched the entire MCU and ended up having, if you look at like the top 10 movies of all time, the MCU has um, 10, I mean, eight out of the top 10. Hmm. I mean, so that is clearly... Someone here is a Marvel fan. Oh, yeah, I know. Uh, I, I did my research. <laughs> I researched my topic for today. So that's, that's one of the things. I think when you're looking at art versus analytics, and I think everything in the future is about analytics, analytics... What machine learning can't tell you is something that's going to touch your heart or touch your soul. Yeah. Right? And that's what really gets down to. Because it hasn't happened yet. You haven't seen it and you don't know. Yeah. yeah. And, and how, would, how would a computer forecast a line like you had me at hello, just to pull something out of I hadn't thought about that. You had me at hello is not a great line mm-hmm. unless you really understand the human element and you understand everything that went into that scene before he said it right that's what makes it work not the analytics of everything around it right right the associating uh, yeah. feelings in that and right. i think that's and that i think that's where everybody and this is my positive spin on this so mm-hmm. that was the negative that i thought this machine mm-hmm. learning was terrible. my positive spin is i think this is very exciting for human beings because right now you look at everybody in the in the world that's like no one really wants to work on a railroad line unless they're really passionate about railroad right there's this thing about i want to be a creative i wanted to create podcasts and i want to do all this stuff and there's all this stuff about being this creative person and that actually is very very healthy when you have things like computers and ai being able to take care of basic stuff then suddenly we can actually explore uh our creative sides which i think is built in one way or the other to everybody and Get us so, back to our core values. Yeah, we can't... AI or machine learning will never replace that creative spark. Not to get too far into it, but if you think about a piano. A piano, you hit the key, it something mechanical happens. Mm-hmm. Like it, it hits the string, the string fluctuates, and it makes a sound. And then when it comes in your ear, same kind of thing from a mechanical standpoint. You hear it, your ear fluctuates, and you acknowledge as a sound. But... For some reason, as a human being, that becomes an experience. Piano does not have an experience. It's just doing a thing. 
But when we hear music or we hear stories and we hear these things, they become uh, an experience. They become important. They become a value. And a, and a machine can't simply can't replicate that. So right. I think that's that's where human beings being natural storytellers actually have a place in the future economy. And it's going to be very fascinating to for people to be able to draw on and to do what they're naturally drawn toward because a lot of the basic stuff is being taken care of. Well, I'm really excited about today's episode. We have uh, Sean O'Kane uh, on the program. And the reason why I'm excited to have Sean on the program is because Sean is a writer for one of my absolute favorite, um, what, what would you call it? Online. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, online magazine. Online is, is magazine. Yeah, it, it, website is the good catch-all. I yeah, think. <laughs> a lot of this, people still say tech blog. But what I is think this we've website you speak of? <laughs> I, hear, I hear they have the internet on computers now. Um, no, okay. So uh, Sean writes for The Verge, as Tree will uh, attest to. That is how I wake up in the morning. I start, and Verge is literally one of the first things I go because it's like, okay, what cool shit is happening that they're reporting on? And I, I got to know about. That's and our log I, line, actually. <laughs> cool shit's happening. Here's the cool shit today. <laughs> <laughs> and so I send it to Tree, and then she uh, actually there there was a I had a uh, a very proud nerd moment this today. Oh, I went Don't tell I went that. by. Uh, she she's far cooler than I am, and I went by her desk and I uh, was going to talk about whatever, and she had on like a futurist web website. <laughs> Like and all I saw were headlines. The future of this, the future, and I took it as a personal victory. I was like, <laughs> yes. Because then you met me. What was I reading before that? I don't know. What What were you reading before that? Is this is is being a futurist? And we're just not going to talk to you. Thanks for coming in. We're going to talk <laughs> no, amongst okay. ourselves. I like learning about new people. <laughs> what, what 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 kind of stuff did you read before I started roping you into all this futurist stuff? I mean, murder mystery. You know, all the good stuff. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Are you in a good murder mystery? I'm not a big murder mystery person. I am a big scam person, and it's like there's no. never been a better time to be into scam stuff. Yeah, it's just everywhere now. I just saw the Gypsy Rose Blanchard scam thing. Oh, yeah. What is that? I don't even Whoa. know what that is. Do you have Hulu? Oh no, I, I'm gonna oh. have to get it. Okay, I'll so, reactivate for a free trial or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> so this is worth it. It's yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's called The Act, and it's um a do- documentary. It's, right a, way to it's say a drama. It. It's a drama, it's, it's right? Right. A tragic. So basically, drama. I don't want to ruin it for you, but a mother and daughter, sorry, a daughter kills her mom. Okay. And they kind of go through why and like all the lies, all the deceit, and all that, and it's like Based pretty on crazy. A true story too. Yeah. Okay. 2015, this happened. Okay. Can't say much. Yeah. Because you're gonna watch it. It's yeah, worth man, it. Try it. It's worth it. My favorite, um, as as we just talk around you, yeah. I'm gonna say this, and I'm gonna let you go after this, <laughs> is. Uh, um, the oh god, of course, I'm, the the woman, the Silicon Valley entrepreneur who was supposed to be the next big. Oh, Theranos. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What do you think about all that? But uh, maybe this is just like kind of disconnected. But it feel like all I can think about with Theranos now is just how much secondary media there is. You know, there was the book, there was the documentary, there's yeah. like a TV series coming out. Oh, yeah. There's, it, it's just it's the ultimate example of how, like Game of Thrones is held up as this sort of pinnacle of of how of like, there's this entire industry of like next day media or yeah. night of yeah, media yeah. created uh about these shows and the theranos one is a weird version of sort of the long tail of that where there's this this entire industry 
all around the fallout of that company. But they're really, I mean, it was a really interesting story. I remember when that was breaking, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when that first big uh, John Carrier story broke uh, in, I think, October 2015, and, like, watching our science reporters at the time read it, uh, sort of try and figure out what was going on and, like, try and find a way to add to the story from our end. And it was... Um, I hadn't really heard of them that much at that time, hmm. um, but they're a very interesting uh, cautionary tale that I don't. Sadly, I don't know it's going to really yeah. give people that much caution. <laughs> well, it's, for me, it's amazing because I did a lot of work when I was in San Francisco. I did a lot of work for the VCs, mm-hmm. and you know when you start getting into things like company valuations and all this stuff, so much of it is not science. <laughs> oh, totally. And now, especially, you know. I think maybe there would have been some caution following the mm-hmm. fallout of that, but then SoftBank came in and was like, "We have a hundred billion dollars. We're going to give it to everyone." And then everybody was suddenly, you know, worried that their three million dollar investment wasn't going to stack up next to SoftBank, and now everybody's yeah. sort of racing with these high valuations. It feels like we're starting to reach some burnout. We're gonna we're gonna about to hear Uber's first quarterly mm-hmm. results. So, oh yeah, yeah. That's so I, I think that one. might with how that's been going. I feel like we're finally about to maybe enter a cooling off period i don't know yeah it's it seems you're right it seems about that time but it's like i talk to i cover a lot of automotive and transportation startups and um one of the things that i hear from the most about them is this and the people who have invested in them um sort of the the more traditional venture firms in silicon valley is just this sort of underlying pressure of there are these big you know either sovereign wealth funds or softbank uh, that are just sort of have moved the ceiling so high mm-hmm. on these investments that like they all try to say that they're not thinking about that when they're making their investments, but like they are and yeah. like the numbers are there. And like, there's a reason that Uber was having banks tell them that they were going to be valued at $120 billion. And it's because of these like mega funds that are out there now. Yeah. So would you say that the future of transportation is an individual experience or is it communal? One of, I mean, one of the most interesting things that I think is happening right now is that a lot of the companies that are trying to talk about what the future of transportation looks like are pushing a narrative of shared mobility, whether it's literally sharing the thing that's getting you around uh, in like a scooter or even a shared car or whatever, um, but also the shared experience of being together with people, you know, Lyft Line or Uber Pool. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't know, in the U.S., I don't know how much that's ever really going to catch on. Hmm. I think there will be space for it for sure, but, like, I can't I, – I, I know how selfish some of our fellow <laughs> citizens can be, uh, you know, it's myself included selfish. sometimes. So, yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> so it's like car ownership for sure is I, – I, I throw sort of a skeptical eye at any company that is – confidently saying they're going to be able to carve out a business model, you know, has anything to do with getting rid of or reducing car ownership just because I feel like that's going to be such a big challenge. Um, So I'm hesitant to, I don't want to split it right down the middle. I will say still more individual than uh, shared, which is a shame because like if we had really robust public transportation in this country, we would (laughs) probably not have to worry about that question as much because it would be like individual supplementing shared, which kind of is sometimes, but... So normally we try to really have a quiet soundproof room. (laughs) It's New York City. Uh, You can't have it. (laughs) It's it's a New York 
and uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral has gone off. But for the first time in all of our interviews, being that you're talking about transportation, it seems appropriate. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I'm not going to edit this one. I'm just going to let all the, the sirens and everything go. Yeah. But what you, what you said reminds me of the old Volkswagen concept. Like when the Volkswagens first came over, mm-hmm. they included a kit for you to do your own repair. Oh, yeah. And it was a big hit in Europe. But over here, people are like, not so I'm not going to drive the car and then spend 10 minutes like tightening everything up again. Yeah. And so people didn't repair the cars, and so it came to be known as like a piece of crap car for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Like, there's even uh, Tesla recently just published a, a sort of section of their website about it was spun sort of as like, here's a way to maintain your Tesla, but it's really just an owner's manual. <laughs> it's like even, <laughs> feels like even that we weren't, Mm-hmm. Like willing, you know, we have this like company that's selling hundreds of thousands of cars now. wasn't willing to frame it as just an owner's manual. They were trying to spin it as uh, yeah. as a way to like handle, like tinker with your own car when it's not really that, because no one's really interested in it. But what about personalization of of cars? Like, do you ever think we'll get to a point that we're having having essentially Lego cars? That that there's a shell that you buy. Like, yeah. I think of like bicycles. Like, you when you buy a bike, you don't buy the the final thing it's about everything else that you add on to it and the personalization of the mm-hmm. bike um and on a small step but i mean is that actually something uh that that would approach like some some level of mass customization in vehicles other than what we have now uh, i think some companies are definitely going to try there was uh i think it was at the yeah the geneva motor show uh earlier this year fiat threw a concept out on the floor uh, mm. that was all about being a modular experience and and there were like all these different kinds of customizations you could do there was essentially this like pegboard dashboard that you could then go uh it's like it's a very corporate move because instead of just being like oh you can plug all these random things into the pegboard dashboard it's like oh you can go to mopar which is owned by fiat chrysler and buy mm-hmm. accessories from them that will plug into <laughs> right, it. it's right. very synergistic and extremely corporate move Cause, but because nothing sounds less corporate than the chrysler app store <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 the chrysler mopar accessories <laughs> bin um but they're not the only ones i know there, there's another startup that i can't really talk about now that i've, I've seen some st- early stuff on uh in silicon valley that's trying to pioneer a uh, more customizable car that you know isn't going to be modular in the sense that you would think about you know throwing in a v6 as opposed to mm-hmm. a v4 or whatever you know like uh it, but i think there is going to be some space for that um i think the place we're going to see stuff like that before anything though is probably in ride hailing where in what in ride hailing in like the backs mm-hmm. of ubers and, oh, okay, and stuff. Okay. i think we're about to you know uber just announced that it wanted to do this uh, on its more expensive versions, this sort of quiet mode, and I think that's the beginning of oh what, yeah of what we're going to start seeing a more personalization effort in in Ubers and Lyfts, where uh, you can see it as it as the rides become slightly more autonomous, and we could have a whole other conversation about whether or not we'll ever get to full autonomy. But if, as we go down that path, it behooves these companies to <laughs> that are burning money like crazy to find ways to make more money off of you while you're in the car. So the quiet mode seems like a terrible idea to me. It just seems like if you're a driver and you have a quiet mode and you get paid more for being quiet, (laughs) your job is to be as obnoxious as you possibly can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) The incentives are a little out of whack there. Like, you know, either you can pay me an extra 250 or what it is, or I'm going to tell you about my moles. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really up to you. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I would, I would, but the thing is, is like, I would pay quiet mode 
every time. I, and I think a lot of people would and probably will. And yeah. I, I think they, I hope they're careful in how they roll that out. You know, that this is a company that's not really well known for <laughs> thinking through uh, its features for, or lack of features for its sort of most vulnerable customers in yeah. the past. So I, I hope they figure that out. But, but I think that's where we're going to see it more so than even in, um, you know, personal personally owned cars and stuff. I, I think we're going to start seeing ride hailing companies find ways to I mean Uber's already kind of done it so you can pay a two or three extra dollars to have the Uber um the Uber share thing come right to your door mm-hmm. or you can pay like less money and walk like four blocks yeah right so that's like the opposite oh, I, did, I didn't know that that you yeah that you have to do yeah that talk to me about driverless cars I mean that's that for me is one of the most exciting things on the horizon it's a it's a really fascinating idea and it's a really interesting problem that spans a lot of different disciplines you know like just engineering, social engineering, just from a sheer technology past, uh, standpoint, but something that I think will happen in specific locations. And like, there's this sort of common term that gets used by a lot of people that follow the industry closely. That is like, it's not a question of when it's a matter of where mm. we will see autonomous cars. Uh, and so I think, the industry is trying to really wrap its mind around this idea of how to tell people about this. And I think this is where it's probably going in the next few years is we're going to start to hear less about guesses of like five years out, 10 years out and more about like, you know, there's this company voyage that like a lot of people don't really know about that's working on autonomous tech using basically minivans and they're already piloting in like retirement communities in Florida. Hmm. Wow. And so they're doing they're doing essentially what Waymo is doing in Arizona on public roads, but on yeah. like a private setting, closed Controlled, roads, right. like mm-hmm. far less like weirdness to deal with. Um, and and those are the kinds of things that I think are going to be people's first touch points with autonomous tech and we're also seeing it with there are some pilots around the country with um, sort of like autonomous shuttles in mm-hmm. similar settings and there's like like in Vegas, isn't there? Yeah, Vegas yeah. has one. There's, there's, it was even, I think also in Florida, if I remember right, there was one that was shuttling kids to school. I mean, oh, it was like three blocks. It was like a very small, extremely specific trial. But, but like, that's where we're going to start seeing that stuff. But the, you know, the dream of like hailing a car that comes to pick you up and brings you wherever uh, feels like it's getting farther away the more we look at like exactly what challenges lie ahead of that. Um, And so I I think the question that most people who follow or work on that technology um, are going to be asking in the next couple of years is like, where is this best used as opposed to this is a technology that's going to be everywhere? Hmm. What I really want to know is um, how do we accomplish these cool ideas without causing major infrastructure changes? Uh, I think by asking the right questions like that, one, you know, like, I think that's one of the important things that people are starting to wrap their minds around is like, uh, you know, if we just, if we snap our fingers and autonomous vehicles are here and available on like Uber or Waymo's app or whatever, you know, here, literally here in New York city, then everybody's going to want to take them. No one's going to wait, want to wait for the subway. And it's just going to, like, we've already seen studies that Uber and Lyft are increasing congestion congestion in major cities. Imagine if those rides were even yeah. cheaper because there's not right. a driver and they're autonomous and, you know, you know, like, it would only exacerbate the problem. And so I think it's just going to take, 
I guess public pressure on I was going to say it's going to take the people who are at these companies to like think about these things but like it's going to take pressure from people outside right, the companies right. who are you know consumers in some way sort of, yeah um, to say like this is a concern for us too because we don't want it to to really mess with that and you know with the government that we have right now we are you know in some ways on the business side of things and on the the industry side of things they really like that there's a very hands-off DOT uh, in the administration right now because it lets them mess around more mm. without regulators coming and saying no. But, like, there's also, like, a push from the industry that's kind of like, hey, like, we do need some guidance. We need <laughs> some help. And, you know, Elaine Chow is just, like, kind of wandering off, you know, like, blocked off schedule and no one knows where she is. Yeah. And everybody's kind of like, okay, like, you know. Um, come regu- back soon. Regulation <laughs> Wild West is good in theory, I guess, for us. But, like, also we need, like, some rules like give us one rule <laughs> well Gravity. i think it's fascinating is the fact that now um because of the congestion what is the what is the uh, the transportation tax in manhattan isn't it you drive below 60 second or something and there's going to be some some level of tax oh yeah i mean i actually haven't looked at this too much but yeah the the congestion pricing yeah, pricing. yeah. i mean it's it, it may seems be 50 like, second street or 60 second but basically yeah, yeah. the minute you cross yeah. to go south yeah and, which and is really going to affect taxi and uber and for sure it, but it's you know it's i think it's getting the most resistance from outer borough folks and also people from new jersey and it's i it's totally understandable because like you know you think like oh i'll i'll drive to you know like mm-hmm. even like i just went to a baseball game in new jersey mm-hmm. like a minor league baseball game and i was like it's gonna be great because it's cheap and then like, i didn't really realize until you yeah. get going like you're paying like 30 dollars just to get over the bridges and then you think about yeah. like if you're cutting through the city at the wrong time you're going to wind up paying congestion prices too and so it's definitely a uh it's a tough sell but like there are it's a it's a good example of sort of like a market force that can change behavior so mm. i'd like to give it a shot uh and you know it seems like it's worked relatively well in other cities but i was also just in uh, barcelona and like had to drive into the city right at the time where they were kicking in mm-hmm. uh, a congestion price and i was like oh shoot like <laughs> I, changes yeah it was like yeah. if i had known and if i had had the means i wouldn't have done it and i would have tried to find another way in but also you know I probably, maybe i just would have called a lift or an uber and it really mm-hmm. wouldn't have changed much for congestion right. <laughs> well i think there, there's also outside influences like one of the thing one thing i find is funny is that how much are we going to drive when retail pretty much drops off the map. I mean, when you can have an Amazon package drop almost anything oh, yeah. via drone on your front doorstep. Yeah. I, there's no need to go like, like I, I was thinking about this from our, our last conversation uh, tree was the fact that we, we were talking a little bit about retail mm-hmm. and you know, you have Macy's just right up the street and then up there you had at, at the time you had Lord and Taylor and then you had Bloomingdale's and when you would go shopping, you would hit all of these places because yeah. that's how you had to know. But now you can just have everything drop to you. Yeah. Do you think that these outside influences, things like retail now coming to you and all these things will actually have an effect on that? I feel like part of that question about the convenience of it supposes that the convenience of it like will remain. And like one thing that really bothers me with some of, uh, not really in like food ordering services, but I mean, I guess Amazon specifically is like, You'll go to buy something, and it's not only them recommending their own brand, but they're, like, immediately selecting the subscription. Like, I buy dog food all the time for a yeah. dog. But not, like, 
as regularly as they would like. Yeah. And so every time I go to buy that dog food, it's like subscription. And they tantalize you with like a slightly lower price because you're going to buy a subscription. Yeah. I'm like, oh, great. It doesn't cost 65 bucks this time. And then I realize, and it's like, oh, man. And there's just so much little stuff like that that yeah. happens when you buy something on Amazon now that I always feel like I have to double check my work and it definitely makes me want to use it less. And I, I like, it the like raises factor. the hairs on the, on the back I've been trying subscriptions. Every time I've done a subscription, they've lost it every time. And they're like, okay. it's going to be delivered on Friday. And then like Saturday morning, I'll get a, it wasn't delivered. It was lost. Oh, God. <laughs> and I'm like, but you know, and then it takes two, three weeks. So I, I actually stopped the subscription stuff altogether. Yeah. And the button stuff stopped. Although there is one, there's a coffee, um, a thing for your, you know, like your your coffee cups. You, I'm, oh, like K cups. Yeah, K cups, oh. where you actually store it. When it gets below a certain point, it automatically orders okay. more. Yeah, that mm. one makes a little bit more. That sense. seems pretty cool to me. Yeah, um, I was I always kind of like the. I, I was kind of sad when they retired the dash buttons this year. Those are fun. This year or yeah. last year, because mm-hmm. yeah, there was something about that that I never figured out what one I would want to buy, like what thing I order a lot of that would feel satisfying doing it. But like, I I did like that idea of like. There's this thing that you always buy and you're always going to run out of and you just have to hit a button and you'll be fine. So. It would be cool if it was the gain one and when you hit the, the laundry detergent, the smell came out and then it like ordered it for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, yeah, like a potentially <laughs> four-dimensional button that, like buying experience. <laughs> Order, gain. Yeah, that actually is really smart being the fact that um, your, your smell is closest associated to memory. Yeah, right? yeah. So that would actually make you remember that you ordered it better. Yeah, they'll figure oh, it out at some point. I know. <laughs> Lock that <laughs> down. Get that patent. Quick, get in a pitch meeting. Oh, God, <laughs> it's got to go. So let's go farther into the future a little bit. One of the things that I find fascinating are, um, and you talk, we talked a little bit about, like if you remember like iRobot, the mm-hmm. whole idea that he got into his car and then when, as soon as he got out, it went back into this massive hidden parking lot that was just, mm-hmm. you just... And there's this thing that whenever you look in, especially when you look in like 1950s, 60s sci-fi about what the future was going to be, mm-hmm. uh, and so a lot of people, it's all about all about the pod, right? Yeah. These, these pods that you go to, and I was reading an article today that um, someone was saying that how amazing would it be that you go to the elevator and there's just a bunch of seats, you get, you sit down, and whatever floor you're going to, or let's say you're going to another building altogether, mm-hmm. you sit in your seat, it goes down. It actually goes out onto the street, connects with other pods. You travel, <laughs> separates itself, and then you go up into, the, and then you just, which which is which ties into your Wally analogy. But yeah, I mean, are there any really now the logistics of that are just just <laughs> problematic yeah. from the get go. But are there any things like that 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 you've seen that that when you first saw it, you're like, that's ridiculous, but we're kind of moving closer to it. Um, and maybe not specifically electric uh, or like battery electric, but electric vertical takeoff and landing. Oh yeah, like, yeah. I, that's one that's get that gets sort of trumpeted a lot now, and one of the ones that we're actually like really kind of farthest away from, just because the amount of batteries you would need to power something that big is tremendous. And then also you run into this problem that like with with big vehicles, like bigger than car size. You know, the the heavier they are, the more batteries they need to power it, and the more batteries you need to power it, the heavier it gets, and you run into this sort of catch twenty two. Uh, and so there are definitely limitations with that idea for sure. 
Um, but I do I think mean, with with batteries alone, let's think about what we're talking about with batteries. Mm-hmm. They have you, we have to make batteries. Yeah. So eventually, we're going to get to a gasoline level problem of resource to make batteries for all the cars, for all the drones, yeah. for all the. Yeah, and a lot of the big companies that are working with lithium ion batteries, whether it's like Poucher or actual cells um, to power vehicles, are all trying to. There, you can see them all sort of like staking out their position on the board. Like, you know, Volkswagen locked down a huge deal um, to make sure it had materials in place to supply all the batteries it's going to need for its electric cars over the next like 10 or 20 years. And they're, they're all sort of jostling to make sure they get all these contracts in place just in case yeah. there is a, a rush for that. But uh, and one of the things that I think would actually enable um, these sort of short hop flights is. I think we're actually about to see, and this is like a kind of out there position, I think, for uh, someone in the transportation industry, but I actually do believe it, is stuff like that, and and especially like commercial uh, transportation, is probably about to start embracing hydrogen technology, fuel cell Hmm. technology, just because like those problems, like the sort of battery catch-22 and also the battery supply issue... um, and then just the general limitations of like you maybe only have forty minutes of flight even in the most ideal conditions for you know a giant vertical taxi or whatever uh, can be solved with a technology like fuel cell where you're essentially gassing up like you would a gas vehicle and you know as long as you can work out like fuel cell or hydrogen has its own issues but like people are starting to make sure they mitigate the problems with it it's you can mitigate the combustibility of it and then it turns into a far more familiar kind of technology. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like that's one of the things. Doc Brown figured it out with Mr. <laughs> Remember the Mr. Yeah, Ryan. right. Yeah. The cabbage in one, there. And then, yeah. you know, one, one thing that I do like about this idea of, you know, I, I think the hardest thing is actually for, for vertical takeoff stuff is uh, in like flying taxi or flying cars, whatever you want to call it. But the hardest thing is really finding the use cases for it. But I, I'm sure there will be some. Wasn't there one that for, they, like, they just had their initial uh, successful initial flight? There, yeah, there's been a couple. There's a Chinese company called Ehang that's tested out uh, mm. its own little sort of like giant quadcopter that's battery powered. But it, it's still limited by um, to like a 30 or 40 minute flight time, mm. if that. I wish I could remember the one. They, they, they built it up to be this huge like, here we go. Here's our first flight. And yeah. it basically... Got five feet off the uh, ground. There was one called Volocopter. They're a German company that, that, uh, that did an event at CES. They're, they're doing like a partnership with Intel. And so they flew it on stage. But yeah, it was like just hovering. Yeah, it's yeah. It's like yeah. a, oh man, it's it's an 18 rotor yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. And yeah. so so it's octadecacopter. Cool. And it's supposed, to be, it's supposed to be the future of like taxi. They're, they're, they're pushing as taxi. Yeah, they have deals in, um, they have a deal in Dubai, mm-hmm. which is where I think we're going to see a lot of really wild stuff pop off over in the, the next what? five or 10 years. Why? Dubai. Is, like, why Dubai? Not, is, is it because if... I mean, it's just like regulation. You know, they're just willing to, to say <laughs> like, come here and like be, we're, we want to be a test bed. <laughs> Uh, uh, for me, for me, that just kind of cracks me up. It's like yeah. any wild like idea that you have. Yeah, we're gonna do it in Dubai. Oh, people might die. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's Dubai. But, yeah, yeah. But wait, what? What a place to go, you know? Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, like back to your earlier question. I think, and not to now, I'm sounding like a booster for like EV tall, but like, <laughs> but like a, a, a transportation idea like that doesn't require as much infrastructure help. You know, it will if you're building out, you know, fuel cell, like fueling stations or, or battery charging stations or whatever. But 
you know, as opposed to something like the Hyperloop, which like might be a more aesthetically pleasing or like sensical idea because it's just basically a train and a tube, right. which is a gross oversimplification. But like, it seems like that you could see how the, the argument for that being potentially more realistic. But like, that requires a ton of infrastructure build out and like support of like. <laughs> Something like a hyperloop is going to go across county lines, state lines. Mm. We know how much trouble those can Caring run into human beings. Yeah, and right. so like it, it's it, that that kind of idea is going to run into far more trouble than than something like say someone who wants to develop a service that takes you from Queens to Newark Airport. So is there a future vertical in takeoff car, magnetic levitation, and monorail speed trail? I mean. Some, yeah, I mean, I think we've seen other countries show like maglev stuff can work uh, with the right amount of attention and money. I think the trouble here is just like, you know, it's it's like a we don't really have a great mechanism for these like big infrastructure projects here, mm. which like, you know, is sort of the idea of the country, <laughs> like having these states that have different views about things and and have to find common ground and work together and but like you know you look at the the sort of rail that they were trying to build in california that's become this like political issue with them getting funding and then la and san francisco yeah and then then it being taken away and like you know it it's become such a nightmare that like it turned into a whole sector like season of true detective right like (laughs) like we are we are not very good at some of these like trains specifically <laughs> that like, you know, span the ground that covers multiple states and multiple counties and cities and just needs so much cooperation like that more than the technology. That's like the limiting factor there, right? right? Where it's just like, you have to get so many people on board. Everybody wants a cut. They all want something like, okay, you're going to bring this through my, and rightfully so. Like you think about like the way highways were built in this country and like, Oftentimes they were built to just like they were built where they were built because they were able to take advantage of like the least like the lowest income or like Mm -hmm. the most like susceptible people to the will of the government. Yeah, who like didn't have the means or the time or or the understanding of like how to fight back about something being built through their town, you know, like Mm -hmm. or through their section of town. And so like you know, it's it's probably good that there's some of that resistance there, but I think it means there's trouble. Like that's one of the things that I find really funny about uh, Elon Musk's obsession with tunnels is that like <laughs> theoretically that gets around that problem, right? Like yeah. <laughs> theoretically, if you're building underground, like and people can't really see it, like maybe that actually solves that problem. But like he's going in a whole other different direction now that has its own host of problems that like it just seems everything he's doing just seems like a terrible way to die <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 like no, I, for I, sure if i could pick if i can imagine any way that i i, I would want to die it's not that way <laughs> being trapped underground <laughs> mm-hmm. and they can't get to you and you're in a tube yeah. that that yeah it just i'm from, in bushwick and there's sinkholes dude like yeah no and totally. it's just from like bike riding yeah like the bike the bike route, yeah, sinkhole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know. I walk I, everywhere now. And yeah, with his um, <laughs> walking, you can avoid the sinkholes. I'm light enough, I think. <laughs> no, I, I am afraid of that all the time because there's Terrifying. definitely some patches in, in my spots of, or like where I live in Brooklyn, where you'll you'll see them like develop over time. Mm. And then I definitely saw a Gothamist article once where like some dude had just like stepped right through it and he was stuck there for a few oh. hours while they mm. had to like take him out. So I definitely share that fear, but um, you know, it doesn't really inspire confidence that. You know, while as Elon Musk tries to like 
apply this grand vision for his first real underground tunnels, he's like blowing past the regulations for fire exits in these tunnels, you know, like (laughs) by miles. And so it's like, if you can't even get that part right, like what are you really, what, how much are you really saving by not putting in more fire exits? Uh, Like probably some money, but like how much is that worth? (laughs) I I mean, I, I, even when I get on the subway, I, you know, because I'm in Jersey, so we come in under the water. Mm-hmm. I, I, I even got to close my eyes a little bit and just yeah, no, find my happy place coming, going Especially under the Especially after Hudson. Hurricane Sandy, where it's like we saw how these tunnels can suffer yeah. in well, like extreme weather and right. like and how outdated they can be and, and the will and might that it takes to update them like they and how, often, the or how f- not often that happens. Yeah, they closed the path. And I was like, okay. How long is it closed for on weekends? For two years. <laughs> and I'm like, so wait, what? Like, grandma. what is yeah. happening that it's going to take two years to fix? Yeah. But during the weekdays, just get them through there. You know, it's like, oh. Yeah. Okay, so let's go Let's go farther out. Um, let's say 50 years have passed. Okay. 50 years have passed. And we've solved, let's just, we've solved a lot of these issues. Okay. Transportation is going very well (laughs) excellent 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 transportation people are happy with it at what point do we start thinking about space travel i mean by then we're already thinking about it right like i think you know i think one of the the things we're going to look back on is um i mean it was it was a big commercial for his company to get a job to go to the moon but i think in a couple years we're really going to look back on the speech that jeff bezos just gave um uh, you know, ahead of the announcement later in his speech of the lunar lander that they had developed, mm-hmm. uh, of his big vision for, you know, sort of off-world living and infrastructure and manufacturing and, and all that, which was borrowing pretty heavily from, you know, some some science fiction, but also some science. Sure. Uh, and I, I think we're going to look back at that and see that that moment might have started helping. Because right now, thinking about space travel in really practical terms, uh, which is still not very realistic, is all is mostly coming from Elon Musk. Like NASA's not talking about human spaceflight as much beyond just core science missions. Like they're not talking about like what would it be like to go on a like thrill ride through space. But Elon Musk is and, and Jeff Bezos like kind of showed up and was like, I've got this vision too. And he's talked about it in the past, but like this is the first time we've literally seen him show like pictures and stuff of like what he thinks that vision looks like. So I think we're actually going to hear more of it in uh, like sooner than later, like sooner than that 50 year time frame. I love um, the fight that they're fighting over it though. Elon Musk <laughs> and Jeff Bezos, like Jeff Bezos rolls out this thing and Elon Musk is like, that's garbage. Right? Yeah. They're trying yeah, to yeah. cool each I other. I love that because yeah. that, it's it, every time, every it's time we hadn't had that in a while, like they were really kind right. of going at each other in like 2015, 2016, but it had kind of died down because Bezos is like real heads down on, yeah. on blue origins. Like they finally started doing flights. And so he was a little bit more focused. Um, I think the thing that, uh, one thing I, I maybe wasn't expecting, and maybe that was naive of me, or, or maybe it's sort of reassuring. Like, we're starting to see more conversations about, like, whether or not we want these people specifically to lead that conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Like, which, you know, on one hand, they are of the kind of means that allows them to actually try it. Like, right. they have the money and the and the and the sort of mind and the will to to really kind of try these things. And you know, for Elon Musk to say, I'm going to put an artist on a round trip around the moon, like with one of my rockets. 
Um, but on the other hand, it's like, you know, should they be the ones leading that vision? Like, I don't know. Like, there's definitely some backlash around the wealthiest people in the world and in the country. And so I think that's good. I don't know that that will actually hamper the, like, yeah. discussion from, about space. From travel, a historical but. perspective, whenever these titans of industries just started going at each other, like, I'm going to outdo it. Yeah. You saw some really interesting things happen. Yeah. Like and that's automobile why I, and yeah. trains and, and all And that's why stuff. I think there's actually going to be, I, I think him... Like Bezos really sort of planting his flag in the discussion with that speech, I think is actually probably going to move it a little bit faster. But you know, there's the I'm a, I'm a space nut, but like one thing we often don't hear, and this is actually something our, our space reporter asked has asked Elon Musk about this, is like some of the really basic challenges of spaceflight, like humans are very sensitive to radiation. Like, how are you going to mm-hmm. make sure that you shield people from the like you know we, without an atmosphere around you how do you shield them from um from radiation in space like beyond just the sort of like there's ways to like basically surround the spacecraft with water essentially uh and so in flight you're fine but like if you're talking about like going to other planets or something like radiation's a big worry another one is any exposed like or any amount of time spent either in zero gravity or in just less than earth gravity once you get past a certain amount of time, like it's going to start really messing with you. I mean, it starts messing with your body like right away, but like you really start to see these effects compound and we don't really know if you were to leave earth for, you know, more than a year, whether or not you're going to another planet, like the effects on the body. Yeah. We don't know like what kind of sacrifice you'd really be making like within your own body, like Mm -hmm. with your own health, uh, as opposed to like all the other ones that you would have to theoretically make. So I'm definitely not volunteering for that. (laughs) I mean, yeah, we discussed this and you said you would be on the fifth ship. No, that's smart. smart. But but number five. I want to be early, but not too early. Because like, listen, everybody wants to be the first one, but like you understand that you're not going to be because like these people are going to be able to pick like who they want. And like, and so, so you're kind of like, yeah, I think that's the smart way to think about it. Like, mm-hmm. I'll let the other people try this out first. The thing I loved about what Bezos propo- proposed is, and I think where I think Elon Musk is, is, is in now that, that Bezos said what he did, mm-hmm. I look at what Elon Musk is talking about his colony on Mars, colony on the moon, mm-hmm. where you actually need this body in order to go somewhere, which is yeah. basically saying, I'm going to think of these other planets as the Earth. Yeah. Where suddenly, with what Bezos was talking about, the in-between space became just as valuable. Yeah. And for me, that that was really taking a concept and flipping it on its head mm-hmm. that suddenly we could have dozens or hundreds of these things because the universe is a massive place yeah. and very little water, very little... It's not a friendly place. Yeah. So if we were... If there we're, are resources out there we could use. Right. We sure. could, But until that point, we could actually build supply chains if we're using the in-between as opposed to trying to get to Mm -hmm. a place and live yeah i mean as an industrialist i think he has the better pitch right Mm -hmm. now but also again like i do really think i question how serious he how seriously he wants to be involved i mean his whole thing was like we want to i want to be the company that builds the first part of that like that infrastructure that eventually leads to these mega structures being able yeah. to be built or whatever right and for you know for anybody who hasn't seen the thing essentially his idea was like uh you know off-world massive like a billion times bigger than the space station like the, the yeah, mock-up yeah, yeah. of this thing that he showed this sort of massive living <laughs> structure was like you know, they had like that a little iss next to it and it was so tiny that you like barely could see it and the idea being 
you know, it's essentially, I don't know, it's kind of like the halo mm -hmm. from halo, right, right, you know, right, right. Or, or something like that, where it's this massive structure and it's rotating or part of it is rotating to simulate gravity, um, much like a sort of tilt a whirl at, at an amusement park. Um, and but with grass and deer, but with grass and deer and drones and, <laughs> and like maybe some would be wildlife preserves or something, which I think is really weird. That's like the most hubristic human idea ever you is don't like think the prospect like, park zoo would partner with that. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I just love that cool. idea of like, Oh man, we're going to do so much damage to this planet. And then like to preserve what's left, we're going to ship it all off. Noah's Ark like, much? Kind of dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 No, but, but we'll be able to go from our other giant to rotating tubes in yeah. space to go get animals off. Yeah. But I mean, I think there's an <laughs> argument to be made of like, uh, again, like if, if you were able to, and there's tons of questions about whether or not it's possible, but like if you were able to build structures like that, there's an argument I think to be made that that's the better option as opposed to trying to live on, you know, even, yeah. even a terraformed yeah. Mars, because like, again, we, we just really don't know, like if you, if you spend a lot of time or even if you, tr if you try to give birth, like in a third of Earth's gravity, it's, we don't know what's going to happen. And like, yeah. whether or not like the, you know, human species would be able to adapt quickly enough to that, mm -hmm. to work. And honest, to be completely honest, I have read, the expanse too many times over <laughs> and watch the TV series too much yeah. to like have any optimism left for like, cause that what I love about that series is it's very like, okay, say whatever, 150 years out or something like we've actually figured out a lot of this, these like basic steps. Like there are people living in the, the asteroid belt and there are people living on Mars, like just starting the process of terraforming it. And it's like, it's such a great like thinking exercise on, how quickly all of that would devolve knowing our tendencies as right. a species. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and, and like, it's definitely, it's removed a lot of the optimism from, uh, that I, I maybe used to have in thinking about like, wow, we, there's so many stars. We could go to all these stars and they, many of them probably have planets. Well, that's actually that like a great yours. segue because <laughs> I, I honestly could talk to you forever, but <laughs> what is one thing? It doesn't have to be automotive or what is the one thing when you think of the future that makes you go, yeah, I can't wait for that to for that to happen. Man, that's a really good question. I I feel like my answer would be different if I hadn't spent the last ten or whatever years here in New York because like I don't use a car really at all anymore. I don't like there's so many things that I don't do. And so now so much of what I want is like public transportation based and like mm -hmm. infrastructure based and like, you know, better bike lanes for the city. And it's like all this stuff that's like not only nearer term than a lot of the stuff that I cover, but like, you know, stuff that should have been done already, like stuff that we should have had solved. Uh, and so like, that's sort of, I guess the really boring answer is just like more reliable transit <laughs> and, like, and better ways to get around. I do really think like, I think, I think what makes me excited is that we are seeing some big cities around the world like really put their foot down and say this part of the city is for people who are walking and biking and get your vehicles out of yeah. here or whatever. And this part of the city is for clean cars that are not going to pollute this area because we've like let it go on for too long or, or some of them are doing a little bit more proactively. And so I think watching that spread is the thing I'm probably the most excited about over the next like five to 10 years, just because it, it, it really is starting to spread. Like that, that's the thing that has surprised me. I think the most uh, covering transportation is 
how quickly some of these cities have rushed to and I mean you could poke holes in their promises and like sometimes they won't live up to them but like how quickly some of these company or these companies these cities have uh have adapted these pledges and have like taken real action to ban certain cars from certain parts of the city and and really you know pave over roads and stuff and, and really give the city back to people um in a way, in probably the only way that you can without just like building it back from the ground up to be more pedestrian oriented. And so I, that's probably the thing that I'm most excited about. So like a about. worldwide version of the Highline. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, kind yeah. of a little bit, right? Like it's, it's. I mean, we've even, and not even just the Highline, like there's parts of Times Square that got closed. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and like, you know, there's always going to be that time where you're going to want to hop in an Uber or a Lyft or drive your own car uh, or a taxi. Um and it's going to take you a little longer to get where you want because all of a sudden you can't go up through Times Square and, and take the straight shot to wherever it is that mm-hmm. you're going. But, like, for everyone, it's better off that way. And, like, the more we try to balance out all the different ways that we get around in cities, and, and obviously this is only really about cities and not <laughs> a lot of the rest of the country, which is out there too, um, but I think it's it's good for, for them to think about too, especially as they all fight for uh, their own their own right balance of transportation of, you know, should we put in a light rail here or should we increase the amount of buses we have? Like how should we solve this problem that plagues everyone, which is like we need to get somewhere every every day, whether it's to work or wherever. And oftentimes it's a painful process and sometimes it's a harmful process. And so I... I'm excited to see where that conversation goes. Revisions is produced in association with Dom and Tom. Production design by Grayson Scott. That's swell.